Well, hey, welcome back to the Access Podcast. We are going to be talking about Colossians, the end of Colossians 3 and the beginning of Colossians 4 uh, for our last Bible in Context episode through Colossians. And today I got Alec Duzan, 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 and Abby Austin. I'm sorry, I should know how to pronounce your name by now. You do that every time. No, I do not. (laughs) Almost every time. No, that's not true. But we're going to be talking about uh, the end of Colossians, and specifically we're going to be uh, kind of zeroing in on this idea of bond servants or slavery that's mentioned in verse 22, and that's also mentioned in chapter 4, verse 1, and hopefully just have a a conversation about uh, the Bible and how it talks about slavery. And I'll preface it by saying um, we're not experts and we are a group of um, people in our 20s who are hoping to have a conversation about this. We are not experts and we do not claim to know everything, but we're just hoping to have a dialogue um, about this topic. Right on? Right on. Right on. So, Alec, to get us going, do you want to start by reading Colossians 3? I sure do. Chapter, or chapter 3, verse 18 through 25, and then verse 1 of chapter 4. Perfect. This is going to be in the ESV says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so as I mentioned earlier, today we're going to focus in on verse 22 which says, uh, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And then uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, uh, masters, treat your bond servants or slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So the question that we touched on last episode, but we didn't really get into it, is does the Bible condone um, slavery? if it references these passages of scripture that say, hey, if you're a slave, be a good slave. And if you're a slave master, be a good slave master. It doesn't say if you're a slave master, um, it doesn't say if you're a slave master, let your slaves go free. It says just to be a good slave master. So does the Bible condone or support or encourage slavery? That's kind of the question we want to, I want to wrestle with first. And Abby, if you have something to share, uh, do you want to go ahead and sit and maybe talk about is this passage saying it's a good thing or not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for me, just being as like a 24-year-old American lady, whatever, <laughs> just trying to read this. Lady. <laughs> um, it's It does, it makes, when you have the reference of the Bible as like this guidebook, as we were accidentally, like kind of had a frame of reference for of like Sunday school, read this, it t- should tell me how to live. This part's going to tell me how to live. This part's going to tell me how to live. I'm going to pull out to be kind or to be something. It's going to, it's going to be an instruction booklet for me. It's like instructions are to be kind to my slaves. I don't know how I'm supposed to follow this and live biblically now. So I'm going to throw you off. What's the, what's the acronym for the Bible? So there's like a Bible acronym, like basic instructions before. 
Um, like, like leaving we were earth taught. yeah gotcha. did you ever learn that one <laughs> no. like bible acronym basic instructions before leaving earth it's like so that's like the frame like you're mm-hmm. saying the elementary understanding of the bible right. it's like you read it and you do it mm-hmm. which like yeah. i dr tim Mackey says like it's a good heart it's a great heart but it's very broken down to take out the nuances of like this part's poetry and this part's narrative and none of it is 21st century female is going or male is going to be reading this there's going to be tiktok there's going to be instagram there's going to be all these other things and i need to tell them how to treat their slaves like that wasn't this like time traveling book of instructions it's a history book with a collection of like like a library of stories and so for me um as we discuss this it's really interesting to be like what context is it in what's their culture like in this um, historical period, what was it like for them and how did the way of Jesus change the way that they um, existed in their cultural context? And ultimately what you're saying is understanding the true meaning of the text. So it's, it's digging and understanding the context that it was written in so that we can understand why he was saying this. So, and that's really the only way to accurately apply the Bible to current day events is because if we just take it, you know, we should always right love and cherish the word of God, but we should love and cherish it in a way that we seek the true meaning that Paul was communicating in and ultimately that the Holy Spirit was communicating in. And so it's not necessarily like, oh, okay, we should have slaves. It's like, no, let's understand that, you know, the context here is it's a Roman, it's a Roman occupied city. And it wasn't God condoning or encouraging slavery. It's the fact that they were in a culture, an oppressive culture, in which the Romans were instituting slavery. And so Paul is is giving instruction on, hey, remember, we're not revolutionaries like you once thought. The Jewish people thought that the Roman Empire was going to be overthrown, but there's a new way. Jesus even talked about it of, hey, if a Roman soldier slaps you on the right cheek, give him the left cheek. If he tells you to go one mile, go two miles. And so it's this countercultural um, kingdom that he invites us. So it's the way of Jesus. And so instead of being revolutionary people, he says, exist in the culture that you're in, um, in this way, if that makes sense. Um, and then he, and he's saying, masters, don't, in, maybe in this context, he's not telling them to be revolutionary. He's just saying, hey, if you're a master of a slave, be a good one, knowing that God will, he's your master and he's going to judge you by the way you treat your slaves. Yeah, it's revolutionary, but in a way we don't have a definition for of like no revolutionary is going into the White House and shedding some blood and changing things and like turning it all upside down because this is how I know how to do it. But it's Jesus coming and saying, you say this is the way to seek justice. I say this is the way. And it's like turn the other cheek and it's like, no, you don't understand. That's being a doormat. That's all these other things. This is breaking my context. This is breaking my definitions of how. And so it's, it is revolutionary, but it's not in a way that we expected. Very, yeah, re- very revolutionary. It's countercultural. It's counter-instinctual. It's counter our sin nature. Because our sin nature tells us to uh, fight. And it tells us to get our own justice. And our nature tells us that's not fair or, you know, any other excuse or, or reason that we might have for wanting to avenge ourselves and find our own justice. I'd love to put in a little the note for nuance there, the disclaimer that we did last time of like, we can't say for other people, like if you're in an unhealthy situation, don't fight it, don't leave, don't whatever. Like there's so much abuse there. So we're not meaning to say like, 
this you have to be pacifist you have to lay down you have to be a doormat that there's so much nuance and we're all wrestling with this now too we're not saying um in your situation it's black and white you should um it's us all wrestling with how to live out that revolutionary way in ourselves yeah so you're saying like there's a sex slave out there and and they're literally being sold right to have to be abused and raped they shouldn't have just this good attitude of like, okay, I'm just going to be a good sex slave. It's like, no, if you can escape, you better run away. Like that is not a wrong thing to do. Right. Um, knowing that, um, just having that nuance. Yeah. It's not, we're not condoning, a, even oppressive relationships right. or oppressive marriages or any of those things. It's more of Paul's writing a really in this context, a general statement to a group of people saying, Hey, if you're slaves, like, be good slaves. And we could even talk about Philemon and how Paul treated a slave who escaped and then got brought back to his who his master and how Paul recommended that he be treated. But um, yeah, there's totally, a, uh, there's a bunch of nuance in the idea of slavery, bond servants in the Bible and how it relates to everyday life. So, do <laughs> we have anything else? Does the Bible, I guess we'll end with this, does the Bible condone, because you even reverse back to the Old Testament, like we were, we were talking before we started recording, Exodus 21 says, literally, like the, the title of it is Laws About Slaves. So, like, does the Bible condone slavery? I think that's the question. Does it encourage the owning of other image bearers? Yes, no, yes, sometimes in certain situations. <laughs> I'm trying to leave Abby's space like, for Alex. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, think, I'm thinking like, no, not necessarily. I think what we, we mentioned it earlier, I don't think necessarily Jesus came preaching a, a slavery gospel or an anti-slavery gospel. He came preaching like the servanthood, the servanthood and servitude lay down your life gospel. And I think like you mentioned um, a little bit earlier talking about how he, uh, wow, I totally just lost my train of thought. Um, but I was thinking about like last week, if you listen to what Abby said, the restru- um, the the power structures and the reshaping of that whole thing, and it's not like Jesus came to establish a government where Jew like the Jewish culture is going to rule over everyone, and there's going to be slaves or there's not going to be slaves. He came into a certain culture, which is relevant to how we apply it to our lives. He came into this situation where they they were having slaves, not saying you need to free your slaves or you need to keep your slaves. He's saying, hey, if you're in this situation, this is how you show Jesus to these people. This is how you show the gospel. This is how you live out the life of a Christian. This is how you show the light. So I don't know if that's an answer. I would nef- I would definitely say that maybe, in my opinion, Jesus wouldn't come saying, yeah, you should have slaves, but he wouldn't say, because I think, did you talk about the context a little bit? I don't yeah, remember. Roman, yeah, the Roman culture. Yeah, where the people were not necessarily like slaves, how we would think of it. It's like if they were in debt, they would go to work for you. you know? Well, in Exodus, yeah, we haven't talked about that yet. Maybe we'll get to that later on. But I want to just piggyback off something you said, it, it sparking something as you're talking about Jesus not coming to you know, free slaves, he came to free everyone from sin and the bondage of, and the power of darkness and the power and grip that sin had on humanity. Um, he came bringing a gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of new creation, new humanity, new perspective in which people can be, quote unquote, like John 3 says, born again, and our spirit can be connected to God himself to where we live new lives 
in any space. And so his message isn't one that says that is only for the free people, and his message isn't one only for the slave, the enslaved mm-hmm. people. It's not only for the rich people or only for the poor people. The message of the gospel can actually be transmitted and it can be translated into any culture, which is so different than any other religion, really. If you think about Hinduism, Buddhism, or, or any, all those other need almost the culture in order for it to survive. But the kingdom Christian message actually can move into a slavery-filled country and it can take root and change people's lives. It can move into the most affluent country in potentially the history of the world, I mean, and definitely in the recent history of America, and it can change people's lives. Mm-hmm. It can go into um, it can go into North Korea. It can go into China where these oppressive uh, um, oppressive political parties that are trying to suppress the true Christian message and they thrive in these oppressive environments. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean God designed the oppressive environments? No, but it shows that the, the gospel and the way of Christ can exist in any culture. And I know that was a long-winded way of saying that, but it's it's really powerful when you think about the nature of, of God's wisdom in bringing Christ and sending his spirit um, to us and how he can thrive in any environment. Yeah. Um, something you said there made me think of like, it's, he's almost like, I think other in earlier in Colossians, maybe they were talking about like, there's no longer slave or free. There is no longer like they're breaking down these distinctions, um, for the future in the kingdom, but realizing that like Jesus came to, um, I'm forming the sentence as I speak, but like he's arguing that like nobody's free almost that like, if you are a, if you're a Israelite slave, I'm not sure, like if the Israelites had slaves while being occupied by Rome. So I'm not actually sure the cultural context there, but like if you're an Israelite slave in a group of people that are being oppressed and owned basically by the Romans. And so like you are maybe a free Israelite, but you're also still oppressed by Rome. And then if you're Rome, you're also still oppressed by your structures. And like, if you're a Roman female, you're not free either. And then like, if you're a Roman male, maybe you're a slave to like, and it just applies and applies no matter like who's on top, they're a slave to something. And you start to see like behind the curtain of like the picture of all of our slavery to ourselves and like the fall of humanity and our sin. And then realizing like, no matter what structure that looks like in whatever, if it's um, Korea or Africa or America or Canada, whatever your cultural structure is, nobody's free. And we can all lay down our bondage, no matter what your job title or life position is. That's really good. Yeah, that that neither slave nor free is in Colossians 3, actually, just a few verses before. I think it's in verse, uh, let's find it here, verse 10. And having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, here there is no uh, not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so as we talk about this, does the Bible, really that question we're going back to, does the Bible condone slavery when in verse 22 it, it tells slaves how to behave? Is it encouraging slavery? And I think what we're coming back to is like, wow, this is very nuanced. Like so many people want like, does the Bible encourage slavery? It's like, well, no, but it also tells Christian slaves how to behave. 
And so it's like, no, it doesn't encourage it, but it also isn't this political revolutionary um, uh, message and encouragement to like set yourself free and do whatever you can, even though I do believe that God is in the, is, does care and has the desire to make more equitable and fair and just cultures. Like he desires that and God is glorified when enslaved people get set free. It's so, it's so funny. I was talking to Mike Benson and this is wild. Like this story, like this made, like literally made me cry when um, I heard this. He was in um, the Philippines and they have indentured servitude in the Philippines still. And so the way that there's the part of the country that they're in, there was just a little corruption and people can set their own inflation and their interest rates on debt that people owe. And they were ministering in this area where there was a, you know, a ton of indentured servants, basically just people who owed money. And because they owed money, they had to work for the person and then they would pay them a low wage and then they would increase the interest rate. And so there was no way to ever get out of your indentured servitude because of the interest rates and the wage that they were paying you. And so it was just this constant cycle. And then they had, they put it in in this in their culture that if once you die then you have like your kid has to take over your your debt and so there's just constant um, you know generations of people who are just indentured servants and and they went over there um, and they uh, met one of these this this couple who actually works on raising money to free those people they raise money to buy back people's debt in order to free them and so they brought like you know I think it was. I could be wrong, I'm, but I'm pretty sure it was like $3,000. And they brought, one of the guys that he went on the trip with brought $3,000. And he went to the person and he got to walk with this person to go and literally pay off his debt. Paid his $3,000 and he and his family were set free from dentured servitude. And you just go like, I know that's kind of like outside of this Bible, but it's a story of real life. Like, wow, that actually happens. And there is a sense of that God rejoices in that. It's not like God is like, hey, you, just be okay with being an indentured servant the rest of your life. No, like he says in, in verse one, and he says, masters, treat your like treat them well. You know what I mean? And in, in certain cases, like in the case of Philemon, Philemon was a slave, ran away. And then when he comes back to a slave owner, Paul says, hey, he's your brother in Christ now. Don't enslave him anymore. And so we see this heart of God, which is, yes, he tells the people to exist in that slavery, but at the same time, inside of us is this image-bearing nature of God that cries out for justice and, and equality and right and, and equal rights for people, all people. And when we hear the story of a, of a, of a guy and his family getting set free for $3,000, it, it makes you weep like because of just how broken our world is, but then when we see God's kindness coming in and saving someone through another person, it's, it's just beautiful. And so I just say all that again to say, God desires cultures and broken cultures and, and corrupt and oppressive cultures. He desires for those to change so that people aren't oppressed. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a both and. Yeah. If that makes sense. It made me think of, I really appreciated the um, perspective from a someplace that currently does have indentured servitude because for America it's like way beyond like that was like probably like the 1400s and before where like that was must have been forever ago and not realizing like how close we are to it currently to hear other people's perspective it made me think of the testimony I'd heard I think from Robbie Dawkins where 
um, the, uh, a young female had experienced the love of God and peace and in the Middle East where like peace is so rare and she was just like wrecked and crying and, um, there was some, I might butcher some details, but like there was to the effect of like, they were like, if you go home and you tell people about this, there's like a real chance that her dad would kill her. Um, if she was following Jesus, there was, I think, I can't remember if that was that one, but like setting on, on fire, kids on fire who were following Jesus was a normal thing. And like, that's the structure that they're in. That's the oppression and the, the slavery of like, when you don't own your own story, you don't own your own fate. And her answer was like, I don't care. You don't understand what I've experienced, this freedom that I have. And that, like, that was a story that really wrecked me of, like, she's within this structure. Like, the gospel story isn't like, no, go back. Now teach your dad new structures. He's not allowed to. You, like, you have to be equal. And then you have to go from him to the prime minister or something and from them to the council of elders or whatever their structure is and change it now. She was changed on the inside. And that that radical, that revolutionary thing on the inside that is changing cultures, whether it's the Philippines or the Middle East or America. And so I think that's very valuable to hear other people's experience of whatever system they're a part of, um, how it's changing them. And um, yeah, that freedom that we get to see really uh, speaks to our heart too. Yeah, we don't understand that as Americans. We're just like, what do you mean you would die? Mm-hmm. What do you mean you would, you would be, it would be better off to die than mm-hmm. to tell about your faith? You know, like we just don't understand that because we, just live in such in our culture, which is is private and it's mm-hmm. and it's I don't even know how to describe it. It's just that's a different world. It's yeah. just a different universe. Like we can't even understand that. So all that to say, this is a very nuanced conversation. Mm-hmm. Does the Bible encourage and promote slavery? Um, but ultimately, um, I do want to kind of transition. So let's jump into Exodus twenty-one. The title of this little section of Exodus is Laws About Slaves. So it's this question of like, wow, God really likes slavery. He's instituting it in the nation of Israel, his chosen people. And this is where I'd like to make a comment that as Americans, we often, our default view of slavery is slavery in America. It's whites enslaving Africans and mistreating them and raping them and really like stealing them and oppressing them and lynching them. Like mm-hmm. it would like this is the default view we have of slavery. This uh, this terrible evil that occurred for hundreds of years, not just in America, but also in other parts of the world, but specifically in our context, just this terrible atrocity atro- atrocity. atrocity that <laughs> that occurred here. And Something that we need to learn how to do, like in other scriptures, is to ask the question, is my default perspective accurate to what I'm reading? Mm -hmm. I don't want to color what I'm reading with the lens of American racist slavery, Mm -hmm. because ultimately the, the slavery was racist, it was it was economical, it was oppressive. And so that's when we see the word and hear the word slave, that's our default colored lens. So we have to do what we can 
to come with an open mind and say, is this, in Exodus 21, the same thing that my default perspective shows me, or is it something different? Yeah. Would you say that's something we should be doing with whatever the word is, whether it's like, even if it's like music, and it's like, well, realizing we have this whole um, like encyclopedia of what music is based on our experience growing up where we are. And anytime there's a word like that, we should be like, is this my cultural and default understanding? What 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 is their word? Is it a different word? Do we have different encyclopedias because we're completely different times? So it's actually like a really good practice, not just about hot topic, really big issues, but anytime we're reading the Bible. Oh, totally. It's like, don't assume that you know what the Bible's saying in <laughs> a sense. Yes, it's under, like, the Bible is uh, just an amazing book. It is, like, incredible, right? Mm-hmm. It's God, it's like, it's the scriptures are God's revelation of Christ and God's revelation of order, God's revelation of human nature, God's revelation of himself, ultimately, and the way to salvation and, and eternal life. And so it's so simple that a kid can pick up the Bible, specifically at the Gospels, and understand who Jesus is and be captivated by this person ultimately God. But it's so complex that the smartest people who have ever walked the earth spend their entire life studying a portion of the Bible and still do not fully understand it Mm -hmm. because of the complexity and the nature of historical uh, texts and how complicated they can be in translating from Hebrew to Greek to, you know, to mm-hmm. English to, and finding that going in the original Dead Sea, Dead sea Scrolls and finding the original manuscripts and saying, wow, okay, what are the, what are the similarities? What are the differences? What are those, what does that mean? And so we don't want to get into that, but mm-hmm. it's ultimately a really good practice to say, okay, I need to be think, ultimately you're talking about critical thinking. Mm-hmm. I need to think critically about what I'm reading and not just assume that I understand everything about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because that's ultimately kind of what we naturally do. We read the Bible, we're reading it, we're reading it, we don't understand, we don't understand, we don't understand. We understand one thing and then we're like, okay, that's what Colossians 3 is yeah. about. <laughs> it's like, so you don't understand 80% of it, but mm-hmm. you understand 20% of it and you're okay with that. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's one way to read the Bible, but that's ultimately not, I mean, the Bible is given to us for a reason. We should as individuals, not just trust the Bible project, not just trust Tim Mackey or mm-hmm. trust Rick Renner or trust Pastor Dwayne. We should mm-hmm. ultimately be, especially now, like we have so much access to technology and 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 just the internet in general to where we can truly seek to understand the Bible, the scriptures um, in a way that can transform our perspective and give us great like roots in our faith in Christ and our faith in the scriptures. So... Well, I didn't mean to talk about that, but it was a, no, it was a great question. Rant best. alert. What'd you it's say important. to me? I said rant alert. <laughs> rant alert. <laughs> I thought you called me a rambler. I'm like, <laughs> oh man. By the way, were you guys here with Randy Clark when he was um, he was like preaching and then he was going off on a rabbit trail then he was like, <clears throat> and he like, I just killed the rabbit. <laughs> were you guys no. here for that? I don't think You weren't so. here for that? No. I don't know if that would translate as well onto podcasting. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it right. You heard the gunshot. Killed the rabbit, so I don't yeah. have a rabbit trail. But me doing that was actually a rabbit trail, so I should have <laughs> done that before I described anyway. what he just did. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Exodus. Okay, Exodus 21. So what? one of the things that I'd like to point out here, and I think this is, is pretty important. So we're not going to read the entire thing. I'm going to pull out a few uh, verses, and I'm going to let Alec and Abby comment on it. So... I'm going to go to verse 16 in Exodus 21. So specifically talking about slaves. 
It says this in verse 16. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Now, in your Bible reading, your annual Bible reading plan, you might read that and not think anything of it. But in the context of slavery, let's have a conversation of what that actually means and the significance of that verse when it relate, as it relates to our understanding of slavery and our lens of American slavery versus God's laws in this slavery, quote-unquote, which is more like indentured servitude um, as opposed to owning of people. So you had, what do you think about that? What are the implications of that verse? I think it, it kind of changes the mindset. I think like what we said, going back to like the Americans, America's view of slavery, and it kind of puts it into this mindset of like, I don't think slaves were ever necessarily back then like stolen. Like it says here, Anyone who kidnaps anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Like it's never like you like <laughs> America back in the day, go to Africa, steal a bunch of people, bring them back, where it's like this almost has a perspective of you are like that is like they knew that was not okay. And it's like if these people are slaves, they're slaves for a reason, they're working to pay off some sort of debt. It's like but there is this rules like you are not allowed to take people and make them your slave for no reason like that is absolutely not okay that's kind of the inference and god's justice says if you do that you die yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) like god's justice is if it says in verse 16 if you get caught so let's say you didn't even know let's say you didn't even know that the slave that you got was stolen kidnapped you die so there's this integrity of any sl- or any it's not even a slave because we we see it's not true that's not slavery as we would understand it it's actually in verse um, two it says when you buy Hebrew slave he shall serve six years and in the seventh year he shall go free for nothing so it's a it's a contract we see that with Jacob and Laban remember Jacob ran away because he stole Esau's blessing and he's afraid that he's going to die and he goes to a different land finds Laban and he says I'll work for you for seven years. That's literally a picture of slavery, quote unquote, but it's more like a bond servant, someone who goes into a contractual agreement with someone who has wealth. The person who's going to the agreement says, I don't have anything. This is the only way for me to survive. So they'll provide lodging, they'll provide food, and I work for them and their estate, in a sense. So in verse 16, whoever steals a man, so there's this integrity that God puts on this that like nobody gets to be taken advantage of here, Right? And that's a totally different picture than American slavery that we have a lens of. It's a different type. It's it's a more the better word is bond servant. And so, do you have any comments on that before I continue? Or for me, my question would be like, this is is Exodus a part of the Torah? So, like the beginning five books, it's the rules that they started. Like this is for my people who are following Yahweh, who are following me. And it's completely different than the cultures around them. Correct. So we don't even know, like the Babylonian, I don't know what time frames, but like Babylonian, Mesopotamian, I don't know, like the Canaanite, I'm not sure the different terms, but there were other cultures around them. And so that they could be completely taking advantage of people. We have so many examples of, yes, you very much are the Moabite, like, I'm not sure what time frames, but like child sacrifices and different things like that where you just you take advantage of people it's what you do you even so this is right moses giving this but even 
so Moses led the slaves out mm-hmm. of Egypt, right, where they were enslaved, mm-hmm. right. Now, before the new Pharaoh came in, the Egyptian or the Israelites were treated very well, mm-hmm. but then a new Pharaoh came in who didn't know the didn't know Joseph specifically and mm-hmm. started oppressing them, mm-hmm. based on race, right? Too? Yeah, based on their mm-hmm. their heritage and their who they were as Jewish people. Mm-hmm. More mostly because he was afraid because there were so many of them. Yeah. he's like they're going to overthrow me, so mm-hmm. I'm going to oppress them. Yeah. Usually, it comes out of fear. Yeah. And so you're saying, rewind a little bit, you're asking the question. So this isn't specifically like, oh, slavery back in the day is all bondservant. Like this is God's people where there was, there was very heavy integrity. There's very heavy, there's even justice where we're like, whoa, if you didn't know and then you die, that sounds so like strict, but like it's part of that wrestling with the Old Testament of the weight and heaviness of carrying the name of Yahweh. It's really care, like it's carrying the name of Yahweh, but it's also God. It shows God's care for underprivileged people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's saying in my world, in my nation, um, people in poverty will have a way to survive. Yeah. And, not, and I'm going to institute laws so that the powerful cannot take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. So that the powerful have to respect their their image bearing nature as humans. Yeah, and it's a totally different picture than American slavery, mm-hmm. where you go to Africa, you get slaves, bring them back, you enslave the kids, you rape them, right, and you mm-hmm. have them work the farm, and they're nothing, they're property, you know. Yeah. And not, and I just hoping to help us all understand the question: Does the Bible? encourage slavery right just think a little bit differently about it and to say oh wow like this is more complicated than just my lens Mm -hmm. of american slavery and reading into the scriptures right do you guys have any other questions or thoughts on that did we want to move on or did we want to sit there i have other verses that i think show the integrity um of god in his care for people Mm -hmm even in the midst of this bondservant culture. It's verse 20. It says, when a man, and this is going to be a little bit, it'll cause some questions, but I hope we can clarify it. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and remember, slave is more like bondservant, so like Mm -hmm. male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. So that avenged is dead. Mm -hmm. So, if you have a bondservant in the nation of Israel in this time where Moses is writing this, and you kill one of your slaves, even unintentionally, unintentionally, you die. Once again, promoting this idea and promoting the value of human life, the val- in the value of human life, even when they're in poverty or they're marginalized groups of people. And another thing that I'll notice here is that, um, is that, I know it's not going to make sense. We'll go back to verse two, but it says, when you buy a Hebrew slave, this type of bond servant contractual agreement that we find in Exodus 21 is not based on race. Mm. It's not based on race. This is, it, this is Hebrew people having a bond servant with other Hebrew people. It's not because they hated the other, another race. They never, they didn't enslave other, the other race in this context. It was all, contractual and it was to help care for people who had nothing so anyway if you're if you strike your slave and he dies you die so it's basically like life for life and but if the slave survives this is the interesting part a day or two he is not to be avenged for the slave is his money 
Uh-oh, this is a little more confusing. This is one that gets brought up a lot by uh, skeptics and, wild. and atheists. But let's, let's not assume that we understand it because it, it's kind of worded interestingly. Um, and let's, let's seek to understand what it's actually saying. Um, so, but when, if, if the slave survives a day or two, verse 20, he is not to be avenged for the slave is his money. So that almost seems like, hey, if you can beat your slave to the point of death, and as long as he lives past a day or two after you beat the living crap out of him, then nothing happens. And that's actually not what it's saying there. So Enlighten me, please. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, so I actually, Mike Winger, if you know Mike Winger, he's on YouTube. He did, a, he did like a little video on this verse specifically, and he kind of breaks down, I'm not going to be able to do it, but you can go look up the video, Mike Winger Slavery on YouTube, and you'll be able to find the video. But he kind of talks about how this verse, uh, when you go to the Hebrew, and you break it down word by word, understand the Hebrew words, what it's actually saying, and it's just not that it's translated wrong, but it's it's not translated in a way that helps us understand what's happening. Um, the actually the slave goes free. So I would not get that. Yeah, the person out of that and it comes reading. from yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it comes from uh, it comes from really the the words avenged and for the slave is his mm-hmm. money. It kind of draws in some different, much more context and much more Hebrew language than I'm able to offer right now, but it offers that the slave actually goes free. Mm-hmm. And the slave, um, so basically if you beat your slave to a, you know, almost to the point of death, basically what that means is, hey, if he survives that second day, like he goes free. For the slave is his money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of that idea, like the slave is his money. The slave is... Um, it's almost more punishment because it's not saying, yes. it's like, oh... This is your property. He can do with you. He can do what he wants with it. It's saying like, "Hey, this is your money. If you're going to waste your resources, if you're not going to steward it well, then you're it, like, it's like the punishment is going to be taken away." Basically, the word "avenged" right there, and then the word "avenged" in twenty verse twenty are different words, hmm. but they get translated the same word same in English. Word. So the word "avenged" means um, there's still punishment, but not death. For the slave is the money. The slave mm-hmm. is the punishment. That's the justice that's going to be served which is the slave goes free but he gets the money that we that he would have made for the for his contract. Mm. So if he worked 6 years but he got beaten at year 2, he has to give him the full amount mm-hmm. and he goes free. Yeah, it almost makes me like the NIV even less. It says so this is 20 and 21. It says anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. But they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two since the slave is their property. It's just like that that is seems even more confusing than the version you read and just warrants further investigation into the original. Yeah, I mean if you really are like, Whoa, I want to learn more about this, I would recommend first going to the Mike Winger uh YouTube video about slavery and then you'll you can learn about it. And then secondly, that'll take you on rabbit trails where you can go do your own little research on it. So <laughs> but ultimately I, I love I love just diving into this around the topic of slavery because it shows God's heart for people and it really shows the nature of God as it relates to what we would call slavery, which is really misunderstood in our context as Americans, especially in 2021 as slavery and racism and 
and justice and reparations and all these things are on the forefront of conversations in our society, I think it's pretty crucial for us to understand biblically how God dealt with the, the term slavery or bond servants so that we're not drawn into voices that might be taking us somewhere that's inaccurately representing how God views the or how God views slavery in the Bible and how he instituted it. So to bring it back to the question of like, okay, so does the Bible condone slavery? There's not a straightforward answer to a question like that than we that we want. We're kind of getting out of like, okay, what are, what lens are we looking at it from? What is the Bible to you? Like that for me, that's really really big because if they're like, well, it's God's word, it's like, okay, unpack that topic, that word. Like, what is God's word? Well, like it's his it's his instructions. Okay, if it's his instructions, and like, did he write it? Or was there also Paul and Peter and Moses and all these other people that don't even have names? And was there like, was it very human involved process? Are they writing for ancient Israel, these rules? Um, And what was their, there's all these other questions of what is your lens? What are you looking for from it? Um, What is the cultural context? Are you willing to go into deeper study to figure out these, this ancient culture in their context. And it's just such bigger and longer of a conversation than I like, does the Bible condone slavery? It's like, okay, well, do you have five years? And yeah. like, let's actually meditate. Let's actually wrestle with, let's actually question and figure this out and walk it out. And it's like a heart posture. Yeah. I, I feel pretty confidently that maybe I, I can't speak for all versions of slavery, right? Indentured servitude mm-hmm. and bond servants, but I can say in America, like God did not condone American slavery. Mm-hmm. Like that was evil to the core. It was demonic. Mm-hmm. It was wrong. And even Christian quote unquote people use the Bible in order to do it. Mm-hmm. I say quote unquote because I can't judge where people are going. But mm-hmm. if you're if you're tr- mistreating and owning and people, you just got to say, you know, obviously they live in a different context than we do. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if I lived in the South in the 1800s, maybe I would have owned a slave, you know, who knows? I'm not going to be self-righteous, mm-hmm. but I can say without, without a doubt, biblically, that God does not support the action and the owning of people as mm-hmm. it happened in America. Like yeah. God was brokenhearted by that. Like that was wrong in I, I, I feel yes. like I can say that pretty accurately right. because not that I understand slavery in America fully because I know enough about what mm-hmm. happened and how it happened and how it affected people to yeah. say that what I read in the Bible, God fights for the brokenhearted and he fights for the underprivileged and the marginalized. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was evil. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I think for me, it would be like, I'm seeking that out too. That's a wonderful question. I totally get how it can look like that when it's like, well, if you beat him and he lives, then maybe he's still yours, but then he can go. And it's like confusing to read already. It's like that word avenged and that word avenged are different words. But to you, it looks like the same word. So I get why it's confusing. Um, But it's just like honoring the question. Like that's a really good question. And that's important to ask. From what I'm reading and what I'm figuring out and following the way of Jesus in my experience, I've been learning so much about his heart for the underprivileged, his um, radical justice for defending and bringing up those who are on the margins. And like, if you have a moment, let's talk about this. But like, from what I'm seeing, if somebody is misusing another person, like God's not about that. And even there's a difference between like the Old Testament and the New Testament and our understanding in Jesus now, like, where like 
Jesus went through and said, like, you say from your understanding from Moses, but I say, like, now, like, you look at a woman in lust and, like, you've already committed adultery. Like, you're angry and you've already killed. And it's like, whoa, the stakes are much higher. It's, like, very different. But what we're seeing is his heart continually through, like, it's understandingly confusing with the translations and the ancient text and the different cultures. But as we're wrestling with it, we're finding a consistent heart for um, right relationships and honoring the image in every person, no matter what they look like or what group they're a part of and if they're not a part of yours. And we're seeing that as we are wrestling with this book. Yeah, I think in order to answer like th- that question, like does, does God condone slavery? We really have to take our red, white, and blue glasses off and and redefine and understand the word slavery as um, it pertains to the biblical context of the word. And once we understand, like, I think God has parameters for how slavery in the context of the Bible in Exodus and, you know, all throughout the epistles, like, there is a way that it can be done. But it's a lot different than what it looks like from how America did it. And once we understand, you know, how it's defined in the word, we can way better apply it to our lives and realize that, oh, God does have a heart for the people who are being oppressed And he has a way for people in certain circumstances to shine the light of Jesus, no matter how they're being treated. Well, guys, that's all we have for today. And we're going to wrap up this conversation by saying thank you for listening all the way through. And if you have questions, just ask us on a Thursday night or if you want to DM us on Instagram. And ultimately, this is our last episode of the Colossians series. The end of uh, Colossians chapter 4 is basically Paul's farewell. We could read it, but there's there's really not much to, <laughs> to mm-hmm. comment on in the end of Colossians 4, although there are some good things in there that I encourage you to read. But ultimately, we want to leave you with um, just the encouragement to the desire to understand God's word more. God's word to the scriptures more to desire to, it is God's word but that's mm-hmm. a packed a packed statement desire to understand the scriptures more and don't do it as an intellectual exercise only but also a heart exercise to get to know the heart and the nature of God as he's revealed himself through Christ but also through the scriptures peace bye